You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Treeline Church. How are we doing today? Oh, so very good to see you. Like Brian said, we uh, are from central Michigan, and from Michigan, we actually do this thing where we hold up our hand and we point where we're from. And so I grew up here in a city called Detroit, and then I moved over here to a city called Chicago, and then I moved up here to the very middle of the mitten, that's what we call it, where we're from, central Michigan. So it was very, very fun to be here. I actually grew up coming to outside the Pittsburgh area. I have family in Butler, and I don't know how far that is from here. Uh, I, I'm lost without Google Maps. But I grew up, I spent quite a few uh, summers of my childhood uh, bec- having to be a Pittsburgh Pirates fan because my Uncle Paul was like, you are not going to bring Tigers gear into this house. And so I wore Pittsburgh Pirates and Pittsburgh Steelers, much to m- my horror. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just kidding, just kidding. I loved it. So I love being here. I'm so excited to be here. I've known your pastor for many, many, many years. And there are not many men on the planet that I admire more than Brian Henry. I love his heart for Jesus. I love his heart for his family. I love his heart for the church. And I love that Thrive Church, our church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, can come alongside of you. We're five and a half years old, so we are very, very young ourselves. And I remember what the first year of a church plant was like. And I'm excited to be here and just be one more person encouraging you. And I love that you're engaging in this church. I love the video about small groups. I love the video about getting involved. It's just so incredibly important. And I love the series that you're in called Vision because vision is so important. Vision is like the picture of the preferred future. Like this is the vision. Like the vision for my life is I would love to be sitting in a hot tub with Tom Brady and Darius Rucker from Hooting the Blowfish. Like that's my vision, but the reality is that's not probably going to happen. That's just not going to happen. But it's interesting as we talk about church and we talk about the vision for the church, uh, how many different thoughts there are about the church and people's different preferences. Not too long ago, I was sitting in a hot tub at our local university. We have a little university in our town called Central Michigan University. And I was sitting in the hot tub one, one morning. The hot tub is, is probably uh, uh, bigger than this stage. It's a big, long hot tub. And it was just me. It was 6.30 in the morning, and I was giving off that vibe of nobody, please sit by me. I just want quiet time. This is Jason's quiet time. And a woman got done swimming, and she came over, and I kid you not, within an arm's length, she sat by me. Within an arm's length. I mean, I was giving off every vibe of please don't sit by me. Please don't come by me. Please nothing. I had picked the perfect jet stream because I have a bad back, and it was doing its job, and I was just wanted quiet. And she sits within an arm length, and she says, hey, how are you? Uh, my, my swimming lane is open. I noticed you need to work out. Why don't you go swim? Um, I was like, wow, okay, this is how it's going to go at 6.30 in the morning. And so I said, oh, thank you very much. But, I mean, I already did work out for many hours. I mean, they brought extra weights for me. Uh, but I'm not bragging. And she starts talking, and, and she says, the magic questions, those of us who are pastors, when we're getting our haircuts or people ask us what we do, as soon as you say, I'm a pastor, very often the conversation's over. Very often people don't want to talk to you anymore. And so I said, okay, this is it. This is perfect. I said, my name is Jason, and I'm a pastor. 
thinking that's it, we're done, we're not going to talk anymore. And she goes, oh, wow, well tell me about that. Where is your church parish? And I said, well, we don't necessarily have a parish for our church. We're kind of a different kind of church. We meet in a movie theater. And she's like, your parish meets in a movie theater? I said, well, we're not really a parish. We're a church in a movie theater, but it smells like popcorn. And she's trying to, like, wrap her mind. And then she says, what are you passionate about? And I thought, I, I just I just want to be left alone. That's what I'm passionate about. Like, that's so mean. Typically, I'm like, God, send me people to share Jesus with. And this morning, it was just like, I, my vision is to sit quietly and just enjoy the jet streams. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go for it. I said, here's the thing. Here's my passion. My passion is to help people who don't know God, who've given up on God, who have no relationship with the Savior of the universe, to find him, to confess their sins, to give their lives to him so they can experience the hope and the joy and the peace only found in the resurrected Christ because he died for our sins on the cross and he rose again. I kid you not, I am preaching so hard in this hot tub, a choir pops down and they just start singing, Jesus, Jesus. And their robes, I mean, it's just amazing. Two little hankies pop down, I'm wiping the sweat like I was going to town. It was, I, I thought for sure in my head, she's about to get baptized. Like I'm gonna baptize her right now. She's gonna confess her sins. We're gonna do baptism. And this big long pause happens, big long pause. And she just says, well, I'm passionate about recycling. And I thought, I thought what, what just happened? Like my vision didn't quite line up for her. Like what just happened right now? And then that was it. Like we were done. And she reminded me that, you know, her lane was still open if I needed to go swimming. I thought, okay, that's, that's fantastic. That's just so great. What I hope to encourage you on this morning is to just kind of broaden and open our minds to the vision for the church. Because I believe very, very passionately that because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he went to the cross, because he died on the cross for our sins and our shame, and because he rose again from the dead and defeated sin and shame, he gave us the local church. And the local church is so precious to Jesus because it is God's plan A to reach this broken and hurting and messy world. And that's what you and I get to be a part of. And that's what I love what God is doing at Treeline Church. Um, this is my childhood church home. Uh, I think I brought a picture. This is Evergreen Lutheran Church. I spent three years here as a kid, four years here as a kid, in my middle school years. It's in the, in, in, right out in the outskirts of Detroit on the west side. And you can't see in the picture, but it kind of scoots out either way, and there's like a little Christian school on one end, and then there's like another little thing. And my dad was my youth pastor. My mom was the church secretary. My uncle taught eighth grade. My aunt was the school secretary. Like, I ran the church. Like, I, I climbed up the poles. Like, I did everything. And we were so poor as a church that on the back end, we couldn't even afford a basketball hoop. So there's this, like, this little ledge, and that's what we shot basketballs on because we were so poor. I loved that church until I started noticing how people treated each other. And I was like, oh, this is fascinating. And then one day, I was 13 years old, I was coming up these basement stairs, and I heard this man yelling at the top of his lungs at my dad. And he was screaming at my dad because my dad let the wrong kind of kids into the church. Kids whose families weren't a part of the church. Kids who were the wrong color. 
kids who didn't have any money. And I, I just remember hearing this man scream at my dad. And my entire life, people said, Jason, you're going to be a pastor. As, as young as fourth grade, people said, you're going to be a pastor. I said, no way. And then that day cemented it. I was no longer going to be a pastor. Because if that's how people treat each other in the church, I, I'm not going to be a part of that. Like, I saw my dad just get treated so poorly so many times. But my dad was my youth pastor. Like, I loved it. Like, one day in the youth room, we're all sitting downstairs, and they had these couches. No reason why anybody should have been able allowed to sit in these couches. I mean, OSHA should have been called. I mean, they were awful. They were donated to the church back in the 1910s, and they just kind of sat in there with all the stuff. But my dad announced, hey, we're going to go to a roller rink one day. And I thought, wow. Like, I don't like danger. Um, you know, I, you don't know me at all, but uh, I'll give you a little glimpse into my life. I, I sweat for a living. That's what I do. Uh, I don't like danger, so I don't eat chili and I don't eat peeps. Um, and I don't like go, going fast on wheels that weren't supposed to be on your body. And so why would I go to a roller rink? I'll tell you why. Because across the youth room on a couch was an angel. And her name was Tina. And when she walked into the room, time slowed down. And angels sang. And it always smelt like Cinnabons. I kid you not. I kid you not. We'd be sitting there, and Tina would walk into the room, and everybody in a collective way would be like, Cinnabons. Like, it was, it was just beautiful. So she looked very excited about going to the roller rink, so I decided to go to the roller rink. And so we hopped in the church van on Friday night. It was one of those old vans where it had one of those big giant doors that you slid. And we all got in there. I'm in the last row. Tina's in the front row with like five of her friends. And I'm in the back with like 16 junior high boys. And I was sweating so much that when I leaned up from the seat, you could see my entire body mark and sweat. And then you could read the t-shirt I had on. It was really disgusting. It said, oh, 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 oh the right stuff, um, but you could read it in a sweat outline on the shirt. So I decided to send Tina a text message, which in those days, a text message was a piece of paper and a pencil. And so I would pull that out of my pocket, and I wrote, Dear Tina, will you be my girlfriend? I put a Y or a no. I put a question mark, and then I said, P.S., please don't say no, because if you do, I'll be mortified. I'll never be able to recover, and I'll live in my parents' basement and play video games the rest of my life. That's what I said on the note, and I passed it up. I have no idea how it got to her. It went through two rows of dudes. Why they didn't grab it and make fun of me, I have no idea. So it got to her, and she opened it up, and all of her friends, like, did the whoosh thing, and they're all like, ha, 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 giggling, and as they giggled, back then, ladies, if you're in my bracket, uh, you'll remember that ladies wore their hair straight up in the air, and I don't know how it happened that way, it was just this magical thing that all their hair, and so as they kind of all whoosh, got all together, and they were reading the note, and they were giggling, ha, 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 everyone was like, Cinnabons. Like you could smell it in the room. And then all of a sudden, like their hair just starts singing, we are the world. Like it was, it was incredible. It was a powerful moment. She folded up the note. She passed it back to me. And for the first time in my life, I was in a committed relationship. She said, yes, it, this was a big deal. Yes, thank you for your applause. Uh, that's powerful. That was powerful. 
And so I love church. Like I had a great vision for the church at that point because I'm like, wow, this is great. I got a girlfriend out of church. This is pretty powerful. But we got to the roller rink and we had been in a relationship for nine minutes until the magical part of the relationship happens, which was the disco ball that lowered from the ceiling. And the DJ said, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for couple skate. And I had been waiting for that my entire life. And Tina comes skating over to me and I come skating over to her. And our hands came together. And that was only the third time in my life I had held a girl's hand. I would held my mom's, which didn't count. I held an, an aunt's hand, which didn't count. And I held this elderly woman's hand uh, who lived down the street from me. She used to pay me to hold my hand. It was really weird. Looking back, it's kind of like stranger danger. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it, it was the 80s. Things just kind of flew then. And so Tina came to me, and, and we didn't hold hands this way. We held hands magically this way. And it was a very powerful moment. She looked into my eyes, and I looked into her eyes, and we skated hand to hand. But the problem was I had to keep letting go because I was sweating so bad. And I would flick the sweat on the ground, and the kids behind me would hit the sweat, and they would fall. It was ridiculous. We get to the chorus of the beautiful song, beautiful moment. And she looks into my eyes, and I could see her eyes because her glasses were, like, that thick. And I could, like, see into her retinas. I mean, it was powerful. I was like, wow, look at those retinas. Um... And she, she, she looked at me and she said, Jason, this isn't going to work. And she lets go of my hand and she skates over to my best friend, Mike, and grabs his hand. And I turn away to skate and I hit one of my piles of sweat and I fell on the ground. And, and I kid you not, those of you who know music history, this is the song that was playing. I'll, sing it, I'll just sing you one line of the chorus. Can't make this stuff up. It goes like this. It must have been love, but it's over now. Like that is the song that was playing. That was just a horrible moment, and I almost gave up on church because of that whole entire thing. Could you put that picture up one more time? Here's a crazy thing about this church, though. Uh, it's for sale for $43,000. You could buy it right now because the church died. Nobody even uses the building anymore. And unfortunately, five to 8,000 churches close every single year in the United States. And only about 4,000 are planted if we're lucky. And we can't keep up with the population. That's why, that's why the church is so incredibly important. That's why the church is so incredibly important. Andy Stanley, a great pastor from Georgia, he says this about the church. Look at this quote. He says, many of the things you have resisted about church are things the church should have resisted. Many of the things you have resisted about church are the things the church should have resisted. Like it's so powerful. In Andy Stanley's book, Deep and Wide, he talks more about this. And it's so powerful what happens when we come together as a church. And we have to keep working on that. Like some of what's happened in the church history, in our church history is so good. And some of what's happened is so bad. Because when Jesus showed up to the scene, he introduced something so brand new. Like it was absolutely incredible. It was a total departure and a stark contrast from the ancient religion of the day. And here's what it was. It was this temple model form of worship. The temple model. The temple model form of worship says there has to be a sacred place. There has to be a sacred uh, person, always a man, who reads the sacred text. And when there's a temple model, there's always super followers, there's sincere followers, and there's scared followers. And the sacred man interprets the sacred text, and they tell everyone how to live, and nobody can get direct access because they have to go through the sacred man. And over time, that sacred person becomes more and more powerful. But when Jesus showed up, his vision for the church changed everything because he introduced something brand new for the church. 
And he introduced this new thing called a new covenant, which is this brand new arrangement between God and man. And he gave us this new command. And this one command superseded all the commands. And if you know what to do, he said, go back to this command. Because in those days, the Jews had over 600 different Levitical laws. They had all of these different commands and systems and rules. And Jesus says, uh, hey, here's the thing. One command, lots of applications, and you filter your entire life through those commands. And then he gives us this new ethic. And the command is an ethic, and it's so much simpler. And then he gave us this new movement, which is the church. And the bummer part about how the word church has been translated over the years is it was translated from this German word called Kirch or Kirche, which meant house of the Lord. And so unfortunately, throughout history, you see all of these giant cathedrals pop up, which they're beautiful, they're awesome, but people mistook that for church. And that's where all of a sudden it got grained into our, our hearts and our minds. I go to a building, and that's what church is all about. The church is the building. And unfortunately, that's what has been ingrained in people all of these years. And Jesus came, and he said something different. The problem was Jesus did not come to establish a place. He came to establish a movement. And so the, the Greek word ekklesia should have been used to translate it, which means an assembly or a congregation on the move. Like, that's what it means. That's what the church is, because Jesus gathered people around one simple idea, and the church was born. And the problem is, when we discover that the Jesus model is so simple that you don't have to go to a sacred place, and because of the old temple model, something had to die in order for people to be forgiven, right? There was uh, blood that was shed. Jesus taught that you never have to go to a sacred spot ever again, where blood has to be shed because he shed all the blood on our behalf. And you'll never be more in a sacred spot than when two or three of Jesus' following people are gathered together. That's when it's sacred. And the Jesus model is far less complicated but far more demanding. It, because every religious system has loopholes, has a place to hide, has hypocrisy. And Jesus came to give us one command. This is so powerful. He says the Jesus model is all based on this. Listen, l- listen to John 13, 34. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's it. Can you say love one another with me? Love one another. I love audience participation. Let's try it again. Love one another. Love one another. Now let's prove it. Everybody turn and hug each other and say, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But that's it. That's the Jesus model. It's so much simpler. New command I give you. This is how simple it is. When it comes to the type of love, there's no shortcuts, there's no loopholes. When it comes to the Jesus model, it's not very complicated. Ask one question. What does love require of me? And so many churches have made it so complicated. And throughout church history, like we've seen the church go from major changes. First 40 or so years of the church history, uh, it was misunderstood, so Christians were persecuted. Christians were persecuted. They lost their lives because of what they believed about Jesus. When I sit down with an atheist or someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, that's like my first question. Do you really think people would have lost their lives over this? Like, it's crazy. And then it became the majority. It was the popular thing to do. Christianity became the religion of Rome, and everything changed. It went from being the persecuted minority to the empowered majority, and then things changed. Then it began exercising the temple brand of authority. Then the Bible kind of became a bat. 
that the sacred man used to hit people with the sacred text to make sure they understood what it was. And then they crammed Jesus' teaching into the temple model, and they left out the simplicity of how we have a resurrected Savior because of his love. And so the, the vision for the church is this should be a place, your church community should be a place that transforms you. That's what the vision should be. Your church community should transform you. This should be a transforming place. We say all the time at Thrive, it's okay to not be okay. Like pe people who are hurting and broken and messy and, and abused and in pain, they come to Thrive all the time. And we say it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way because the truth of Jesus should transform us. And that's the power of it. And then when you go out to your homes and your neighborhoods and your schools and your workplaces, people will sense that transformation. And they'll ask questions and they'll want to know, why are you so different? That's what happens when the church is on the move. And we need to live out the core of what Jesus started with. And that was this, to love God and to love others. Like that's the beautiful simplicity of the Jesus model. And some of us, we need to, we need to rethink church a little bit. We need to rethink church. For me, my earliest thoughts go back to that church that I showed you the picture in the big long pews and sitting there and kind of witnessing my opinion, people in kind of robotic faith. That's not the church. The church is loving God and loving others and being a movement to go change their communities. And some of us, like we've been wrestling with what the church is. What the church is. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you like kind of, kind of a few um, transform, trans, transforming kind of ways that the church should change you and change your community. Should change you and change your community. The first one is this. Like Jesus came to give us this new structure. He, he kind of said, hey, uh, the church is a body, not a kingdom. And so this is like a way that we have got to maybe rethink about the church. The church is a body, not a kingdom. When Jesus uh, was tried by Pontius Pilate, Pilate asked him about this, and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Uh, the Apostle Paul, later in the New Testament, he taught about the kingdom of God. Because Paul, uh, Paul was a church planner, and so he went to plan a church, and he would tell them, listen, you're not a kingdom, you're a body. You're a body. Actually, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul says this about this. He says, now you are a body of Christ, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. What, what, what craziness. If you've crossed the line of faith and trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you, you said, you know what, I can't do life on my own. I acknowledge that there's sin in my life. I've confessed my sin. Jesus, forgive me. And you've given your life to him. You now get to represent Jesus. It's just something that every single morning when I wake up, I try to remind myself. Today I get to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Today I get to be his representative. And the reality is, is he gives each of us a very specific role to play in the kingdom of God. Because in the temple model, this is the crazy part. The temple model of church is all about consume, 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 consume. This is like when we hear people say, well, I don't like how they did this, and I don't like my pastor's jokes, and I don't like the color walls, and I don't like this. And we start making it all about my personal preferences. And Jesus says, just engage. That's the power of church. The Jesus model isn't about consumption, because the Jesus model, 
isn't about you. It's just not. The temple model convinces us it's okay to stay home and worship by ourselves. It's okay. Oh, I'll just worship. I'll just worship this morning from the comfort of my bed. It's delightful. It's so amazing. Or I'm going to worship God from the golf course on Sunday morning. Like, how amazing. But the Jesus model asks the question, why would I stay home and worship God alone when I can engage with the rest of the body and change my community together and change the world together? Like, that's so crazy. The Jesus model says, why would I cheat myself? And the Jesus model says, why would I cheat the body? Like, that's the crazy thing about the Jesus model. And do you know what you are if you're not engaged with a local church? I don't mean to be offensive. I know you just met me. But if you're just an attender, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you're kind of like an amputated body part. Did you know what an amputated body part is? That's gross. Right? Like, that's really gross. I worked in a kitchen for years. I cut off part of my thumb. And I remember seeing that part of the thumb. It grew back. But I remember seeing that part of the thumb sitting on the table. And I'm like, that's gross. That's just gross. So... Don't, like, engage. Like, that's the beautiful part. Don't be an amputated body part. Be a body part that's a, a part of the, the body. It, 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 can you imagine if every single person who calls Jesus their Savior decided to engage? Like, how powerful would that be? How powerful would that be? That's the first one, structure. The, the second kind of way that our church can transform us is he, he gave us this new idea of authority. And this is kind of like the tough one, like authority. He, he flipped everything. Uh, because in those days, authority was exercised for the benefit of the leader, right? The sacred man who was in charge of everything. And he flipped it and he said, authority exercised for the benefit of those being led, not the leaders. And that's the crazy. He turned the leadership paradigm upside down, completely upside down. He says it's not just for the church leaders. It's for everyone. And here's the reality. The pastor is not the mission of the church. The pastor's role is to prepare you and to send you out to be the mission and to pray for you. Sometimes churches get that all backwards. We kind of think the pastor is our butler. And I've been a pastor for 23 years. Like, I've, I've experienced it all. And I love to serve. But, like, I'm not the mission of the church that I'm a part of. Brian is not the mission of Treeline. Everyone here is the mission. And we get to go out and do that. A few weeks ago, I was in Alabama. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, I was in Alabama speaking at an event. And I, I had time, so I drove around downtown Birmingham, which is just chock full of crazy history. And I love history. And so I got to stand outside of um, the na one of the National Civil Rights uh, Museums. It was powerful. And I, I, I remember walking across the street to a church uh, and the church had something that just, it, it, I was just like, what? Like, you know one of those things where it just like knocks the wind out of you and you're like, what? Uh, it had a parking space reserved just for the pastor. It's like, wow, that's incredible. I, I would love my own parking space. The problem is I would never park up front because I would want to park in the back so other people could have the better spaces. Wouldn't it be hilarious if we all like had this parking lot battle on Sundays? So we tried to outserve, outpark each other. So like literally people are like parking down at Chick-fil-A and walking up the hill to get here. Why are you so late? I parked at Chick-fil-A. I wanted you to have the better spot. Like, wouldn't that be great? But I remember thinking, like, that's that's that that's the whole authority thing. 
I, 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 don't, I don't need to do that. Jesus actually said in Matthew 26, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Must be your servant. Do you know what the word servant means? It means courier. You want to be great? Then be a courier who works for everybody, who serves for everybody, who takes the message of Jesus to everybody. Go and serve. It's just so crazy what happens when you serve and you do good. The other morning, as we were driving here, we stopped at McDonald's, our family, and I got in a line at McDonald's, and we order, and all of a sudden, this van cuts me off and goes right in front of me in the drive through line. And I was about to be a courier of some bad words, and I prevented myself. And she got in front of me, and then as I pulled up to the drive through window, the, the cashier said, that lady just paid for you. And then as she pulled off, she honked and waved, you know. And I was like, oh, man, I'm glad I didn't say what I was going to say, right? But that's like, that's the crazy thing. The day before, uh, t- two of our kids and I were at lunch, and we just had fun, and so we paid for the person behind us. And we're sitting down, and a lady comes up, and she's like, did you just buy our food? And I was like, uh, maybe, I don't know. Do you like that? Um, and she's like, that just gave me such a lift. Thank you. And she went and sat down and enjoyed her meal. And I was like, okay, that's what we get to do as couriers. We get to spread the love of Jesus. That's what we get to do. That's the powerful thing. So structure authority. And then Jesus flipped everything around. And he brought this whole new idea of marriage. This is, this is just crazy stuff. This is where, like, the church should transform us in powerful ways, and the church should transform our community. This was another giant game changer from Jesus, because, <laughs> and no wonder people were trying to run him out of town every time he spoke. He went against all the cultural norms of the day, and you got to remember this about that day. In that day, women were not considered equal with men they were not in second place they were not in third place they actually had this whole theology that supported the idea that men were close to God and women were nowhere and it was a world where baby girls had almost no value everyone wanted a baby boy and Jesus came and said marriage is characterized by mutual care and mutual submission no longer male domination No wonder they were trying to run him out of town. No wonder Jesus changed it all. That's how this church community should transform us. Jesus leveled the playing field. He made it a partnership, like a groundbreaking partnership. And then the Apostle Paul comes along, and he's trying to explain what a Christian marriage looks like. And he says this in Ephesians 5.21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Another game changer. Like, this is why Jesus was trying to be run out of places. So Christian marriage is staggering. It is a complete departure from what was. And that's, it, it's, it's this submission competition. The key to a great marriage is defer. Andy Stanley says this all the time. The key to a great marriage is defer. I want you to go. I want you to go. I want what's best for you. No, 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 it's your turn. No, 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 I'll serve you. No, 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 I'll help. I'll do those kind of things. Imagine if that's what we did in our marriages. Imagine if, no offense to the men in the room, but if we stopped looking for a trophy every time we picked up after ourselves. Ooh, big boy, you cleaned up after yourself. Like, I've done it a million times. Like, hey, honey, I did the dishes. Okay, I've done a million dishes in a week. (laughs) Way to go, buckaroo. Like, like enough. 
just enough. Imagine if we had this mutual care and mutual submission and we just elevated each other's needs above ourselves. That's the Jesus model way. And then, so structure, authority, marriage, and then he says, <laughs> I'm gonna give you a different kind of thought for spirituality. And he says spirituality is measured by how one, how well one loves, not how much one knows. And this is like a total departure. This is the temple model, right? The temple model is kind of filled with people who know tons. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Christian school, K through 12. My parents tortured us by playing Bible trivia three times a week as a kid. I knew the donkey's name in 2 Chronicles that carried the timber to the temple. Like I knew every, that's kind of funny actually. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> donkey. Um, uh, that's really funny. I knew all the details about the Bible. But then there were pockets of my life where I was not loving to people around me. There were pockets of my life where I was not reaching out to the people around me. I, I, I love um, this version of the fruit of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is insight, knowledge, understanding of the deeper things of faith, and the ability to make people hang on your every word. Nope. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're a Jesus follower and you want to know if you're growing in your faith, ask yourselves these questions. Am I more loving? Am I filled with more joy? Do I have more peace? Do I have more patience? Do I have more kindness? Do I have more gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? And then do this. Ask your family. Get really brave. Sit your family down and say, hey, guys, um, is my self-control, like, do you feel like, oh, just get ready. Like, it's not for, like, the faint of heart, you know, because they'll be honest with you. Ask people that you work with, hey, how's my, my, my faithfulness? How's my gentleness at work? You know, do I blow up on people? How's my kindness? This makes the Jesus model so much simpler but so much more demanding because it's so much easier to memorize a bunch of stuff than it is to actually live the stuff out. And I'm not saying you don't memorize it. I love scripture. Memorize scripture, meditate on scripture, know scripture, but live it out. And then lastly, lastly, uh, um, structure, authority, marriage, spirituality, and then holiness. And this is where Jesus kind of changed everything. Because he said holiness is about being a part of rather than setting oneself apart from. Holiness in the Jesus movement is about being a part of rather than setting oneself apart from. And this is huge. This is huge. I think sometimes in the Christian culture and Christian community, we see pockets of Christians like hiding themselves away, like dressing a certain way and having a certain language and going to their Christian jazzercise classes and doing all those good kind of things, which are fun. I, I love Christian jazzercise as much as the next person. But why not just go to a regular jazzercise class and be a Jesus follower in the midst of people who are not following Jesus? Holiness is no longer about withdrawing from, but engaging with the world. It's not about huddling up. It's about being a movement and going out into it. And sometimes Jesus followers are super great at creating holy huddles. And they do stuff with only other Christians, and then they never get out into the world. And the crazy thing is in the temple model, sacred 
equaled separate. And the Old Testament law was designed to keep Israel separated from. But in John 1.14, we see that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Jesus kept doing the things that they hated, like touching sick people and healing sick people and forgiving sinners. And then he said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go and make disciples. Don't just stay in a holy huddle, but go. It's so incredibly powerful. And then in the book of Luke, when Jesus died, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies in the temple was torn in two. And it was like God came out of hiding. God had left the temple. And this was a huge reversal. The most sacred spot on the planet for the particular temple model was vacated. And do you know what that meant? Here's what it meant. Holy people have dirty hands. That's what it meant. Dirty is the new holy. That's what it means. The holiest people, I think, in this building today are around the corner serving in kids. Because kids matter to the heart of God, and they should matter to us. And so sometimes we should never confuse giftedness with holiness. Holy is the new, dirty is the new holy. And so we should go out and do that. So here's my challenge to you. Like, as we finish up, as we, like, as we have this vision for the church of this kind of community that should transform us, that should interrupt everything and keep pointing us towards Jesus, that we should have this Jesus model that points us to ask the question, what does love require of me? We love God, we love others. And so our challenge, our challenge is uh, our devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by our love for others. Our devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by our love for others. This, this is the vision for the church, that our community transforms us, and then it transforms our community around the world. Maybe you're here and you've never quite crossed the line of faith in your life. You've been attending for, for weeks or months. You've been reading more and more. God's been speaking to you, but this morning something has kind of clicked and, and you you in your heart are going, okay, I need to trust in Jesus. And so I, I'd love to lead uh, us in a prayer that if you want to trust in Jesus as your Savior uh, for the very first time, uh, I would love for us to pray that together. And so uh, pray this with me if you want to trust in Jesus. And we'll close our eyes. You don't have to pray it out loud, but just pray in your heart. Just pray, dear Jesus. Thank you for today. I know I have sinned against you and I ask for your forgiveness. Please forgive me. I give you my life. I surrender it to you and I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.